Hello, and welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Landway. All right. Well, today on the Planetary Regeneration Podcast community series, I'm really excited to uh, have Alex Cheka on from the Western Reserve Land Conservancy. And they're one of the really fantastic projects participating in the City Forest carbon crediting program that we've brought on to Regions Marketplace. And um, yeah, I'm super excited. Thanks so much for joining us, Alex. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me and my organization. We're, we're super excited to kind of spread the good word of carbon credits related to City Forest credits uh, registration. Cool. Well, do you want to just jump in and give a quick overview of your org and its history? And then maybe sort of towards the end of telling us the origin story and like the work that's happening there on the ground, a little bit about how you came to to sort of start interacting and thinking about carbon markets as a tool for conserving land. Yeah, for sure, Greg. So uh, Western Reserve Land Conservancy, uh, we're a, a typical land trust. We're about 30 years old, formed in the early 1990s. We were really founded on natural areas conservation, but have diversified kind of our tools of conservation and, and community uplift uh, throughout the course of our history. So we do all kinds of conservation at this point. We do natural areas, we do farmland, we do a lot of parks and preserves. Uh, we try to help the local public entities acquire properties for open space as much as we possibly can. About 2011, we diversified our impact even more. We launched what's called the Thriving Communities Program, which really focuses on urban revitalization. So it's a really unique part of our work. You know, at the time, folks were saying, oh, this is, you know, uh, mission drift, yada, yada. But it's a really cool way that brings, like, kind of, I think, our whole work together in that we spend all this time and resources out in these more suburban and, and rural areas trying to protect this land from urban sprawl. But we're not really addressing the problem, which is, you know, unhealthy living conditions in the urban areas where the people really should be living. So we started to invest a lot of staff and resources in try to revitalizing primarily Cleveland and Cuyahoga County. And so we've done that for over 10 years now. And, and uh, the impacts are really amazing. So we do a lot of different things in the city, but we raise funding or we, we first start by uh, developing county land banks, which help fast track the foreclosure process and get these vacant abandoned properties under control from a of a quasi-governmental entity. We just helped develop that entity. The entity kind of takes it from there. We've helped raise over a billion dollars for demolition, which is the next step. Once you get control of the property, you know, the demolition funding is necessary to kind of help revitalize the area, either remove the house, rehab the house, sell the house, sell the property, or turn it into some other type of open space. Uh, we also do property surveys where our GIS team and, and our, our staff kind of document the quality of the houses in these neighborhoods throughout Cleveland and Cuyahoga County, which helps the local organizations, you know, the city uh, or planning organization develop a plan about how to strategize the funding that might have for demolitions or how to reuse certain properties or, you know, sell certain properties to property owners that are doing a great job uh, keeping their property in great shape. And then we have a reforest our city program, which uh, focuses on reforesting uh, Cleveland, which used to be known as the forest city, but now falls well below the threshold of average tree canopy throughout the United States. So, We've really diversified as an organization, so we work in about 29 counties in Northeast Ohio, greater Cleveland area, and we do, you know, donated conservation easements, purchase conservation easements. We do a lot of acquisition work that typically leads to public parks, and then we also work in the the uh, urban context doing all the stuff I just described, but also making uh, open spaces in Cleveland as well. And so about 10 years ago, Western Reserve Land Conservancy started exploring the carbon credit world and markets. 
we always ran into the same hurdle and that was we didn't have enough land under our ownership or under our control to apply to the typical registries so uh typical or historical i guess i would call so this historical registry is really focused on large acreage right five thousand acres ten thousand acres twenty thousand acres or more and we just didn't have that so um it was kind of frustrating but you know it just didn't work and we just kind of kept going in our day-to-day work conserving land um like we'd always done about three years ago we got introduced to city forest credits and you know some of the first questions we asked was like well what's your minimum project size because you know i would say that our average project size as an organization is somewhere between 50 to 200 or 300 acres and so they're like well 20 acres is the minimum project size. And so we got excited right away because it was like, well, that fits perfectly for what we're doing. And then learning a little bit about the registry and, and some other things in terms of additionality, uh, we thought we could apply our, our projects to. And so we started a conversation with City Forest Credits and you know our staff has really kind of um, bought into exploring this type of uh, a project. You know, We don't have somebody on staff that's like their job is to do carbon credit projects. We kind of just fit it into our normal work. And uh, that's a real testament to our staff being flexible and, and willing to try to find something, some new creative conservation approaches. And so we started to dive in and uh, we completed, completed our first two projects in 2021. And we've got a bunch more that are in the hopper. And uh, we're just really excited about this work in general. We think it's a great conservation tool to generate more funding, to conserve more acres. And um, it's really exciting. Awesome. Do you mind sharing a little bit more about uh, additionality is always a hot topic, right? And I'm curious, that seems like it really was a key part of the decision making. I mean, I guess there's these two elements that I'm hearing that were particularly attractive about the city forest program. One of them being their emphasis on smaller um, acreages and that also being important in the strategy that Western Reserve has moving in your communities. Also additionality. So what was it about additionality that felt like it really fit your context? Yeah. So first, I guess the first question, Greg, was like that I I really want to emphasize is you know, we think it's great to protect land, whether it's in uh, Montana, Wyoming, or Ohio, or wherever it might be, right? We think there's just incredible value in CFC's registry because you're you're protecting land and you're protecting forests in places where people are actually physically benefiting from it, physically, emotionally, mentally. So we're protecting forests near a lot of people, right? So if you do a carbon credit project and Again, no offense to these more rural places, but Montana or Wyoming, where there's just not a lot of people, it's great. You're protecting land, but arguably not impacting as many people. So if we're doing a project just outside of the city of Cleveland, there's all these tangible and intangible benefits like air quality, water quality, stormwater mitigation, but also these intangible things like, well, the park that we registered as a carbon project is now, or the property we registered as a carbon project is now a publicly accessible park. And 250 people literally go there a day, uh, each day to walk their dogs or to bird watch or just to enjoy nature. And so all those kind of benefits that you can't measure as easily. And so we just think that, that, that this registry through City Forest Credits is amazing and that it does impact so many people. And the value of these credits, um, as the market has shown over the last couple of years, is higher than kind of those more traditional registries where they're selling for a lower price per ton. Um, in terms of the additionality, you know, we, we have to show clear or lack of restrictions from the trees, right? So the trees can't be 
protected prior to going into a city forest credit project. So all the projects that we pursue meet the protocol and that the trees are not previously protected. And so um, that is pretty clear in our minds from a legal standpoint. So we work in the conservation easement and environmental covenant and deed restriction world day in and day out. So we understand those things really well, um, which I think is sometimes a, a challenge of the general public. And it's not to their discredit, but they just don't, you don't, you don't look, know what these documents mean. You don't understand how they're recorded with the uh, with a deed or on title. And so we know that there's not clear restrictions to trees. And, and so we, we, we try to figure out how we can make that an eligible carbon credit project, protect the trees for 40 years. We're typically protecting the trees forever, meaning the, the city forest credit protocol says you must protect these trees for 40 years. They can't be harvested. We're taking it a step further and saying these trees are protected forever in perpetuity. We have a conservation easement that protects the land in perpetuity. We're responsible for monitoring those trees and that property in perpetuity. So we're trying to take it even a step further than what the protocol is actually requiring. Yeah. So <clears throat> I think that's a sort of an interesting piece here where you know, we don't need to geek out too much on the additionality, but where really the test, as I understand it, is around, I mean, number one, because a part of what's happening is this property is passing over into a conservation easement, right? And so it's allowing you as an organization to access a new set of fundings to be expanding the scope of your ability to be moving property into an easement that preserves it in perpetuity or for at least uh, a period of time. It's 40 years, right? The, Correct. The, yeah. And then the second piece is that you have to prove that it's sort of under threat in a way. And, th and that happens through a property value assessment uh, uh, along with a um, sort of like what percentage of the property around it is in forest, right? Those are the two other criteria. Right. Yeah. So yeah. it's sort of trying to pinpoint like, look, these are properties that are sort of on the edge of the, the, the sprawl zone or the development zone. And if they're not put into easement, they'll shift from being carbon sinks and areas of public benefit, whether it's recreation or sort of other ecosystem services into just, you know, it'll get paved or somebody's going to put a, you know, a development housing development or a mall or something like that is, is high risk. So that's the, that's the real sort of like edge that this funding is allowing sort of a, a positive impact to be moving backwards. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't want to say that we're lucky that we, that we fall into that criteria because that means that a lot of Ohio has been developed, but you know, those criteria are pretty uh, easy to meet in Ohio. So uh, one of them is values selling the property or the property being valued over a certain uh, per acre value. The other being surrounded by a certain amount of development. And we almost like nearly every property that we work on in Northeast Ohio meets those criteria. Certainly there are some that do not, but you know, it's, I guess a testament, uh, to the fragmentation that already exists here in Northeast Ohio. And, um, you know, I guess we're not lucky, but we're happy that we have, you know, a protocol that does apply well to our area that we can then utilize to protect more land. I mean, we're, we're, that's just the, you know, the, the position we're at today and uh, we're going to continue to try to utilize it as much as we can. Yeah, that's exciting. I, I'm also really quite, you know, one of the things that I really love about the City Forest program is how it kind of links the land conservation, local action, and climate action into a nice bundle where people can actually have an experience of, it's not some far away 
project, which are also important. Like that stuff's also really important, but there's something really tangible about being able to recognize the value of a place that's local to us. So it's, yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. It's pretty cool. I had an experience of that myself with like, oh, wow, one of the city forest credit projects out in Washington it's so like literally adjoining a family member's property. And I remember awesome. playing in it when I was a kid and it was yep. under pressure and other things. I was like, wow, this is sort of mind-blowingly cool to see this getting put into conservation so other kids can go play there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is amazing. And I think, you know, that value that you're describing is is showing in the marketplace um, through some of the sales that have happened um, through City Forest, Car- City Forest um, Credits Registry in that you are providing this benefit that some other carbon projects just can't provide. And and honestly, when we talk to buyers or potential buyers of these credits, you know, they're typically local here in the greater Cleveland area. And, you know, one of the selling points that we say to them is like, your folks can literally drive by this property. Maybe they can walk the property. Maybe it's a public park. Maybe they can walk it every day and say, you know, our company, you know, invested in this project and it's going to be preserved forever. These trees are going to be here forever. And I mean, there's something really to feel good about there. 100%. No, it's super, it's super interesting. And it's such a cool thing for holidays as well, like to be able to like, because, you know, our societies maybe kind of tipped over, (laughs) tipped over the edge of kind of consumerism in terms of how we show affection and care to our family members and other things. And I just think it's a pretty cool gift to be able to give like, Hey, I did this on behalf of, of our family. Mm -hmm. Like, and by the way, we can go hang out there together. Mm -hmm. This is something that happened that, that we're a part of. It's really, you know, the layers of the ability to kind of re-knit um, re knit a community with its place. And, you know, uh, yeah, it's super exciting. For sure. So what are some of the things that, you know, kind of looking forward, it sounds like this is a pretty exciting program to enable and accelerate where you see the Western Reserve or org moving mm-hmm. what are some of the things that this is enabling like what's coming next what's exciting on the horizon yeah so to answer that in a couple different ways greg i guess first off this has kind of changed the way that we vet projects internally so as an organization every new conservation project it could be a conservation easement or it could be a fee acquisition project or a mitigation project whatever it might be this changes the way that our staff is now thinking about projects, conservation, and funding, right? So we have a monthly vetting meeting where every project has to go through that process and we vote on it, yes or no, whether we should go forward or not. And so we're literally asking ourselves on every project going forward now, hey, is this is this carbon credit viable? Is this something that applies to CFC's registry? Is, this, is there some way that we can bring some funding to the table um, through this new lens that we just never had before? So it's changing our thought process about how we can get projects done uh, which is a great thing, right? As a conservationist practicing in conservation every single day, you want as many tools as you can possibly have in your tool belt to try to get the work done, right? We have five or six traditional funding sources that are you know, state and federal funding sources that we use day in and day out to protect property. But you add something new to the mix that is very different. Um, and the restrictions are you know, similar, but still different in some ways. It's just you want to have those tools because it helps us protect more land. And that's 
it's a very simple way of looking at it, but it's a very true way of looking at it for us as an organization. Um, in terms of where we're going from here, you know, we incorporate this, like I said, into our internal processes related to vetting projects, but we're also looking to grow the program internally from a uh, resource capacity standpoint. We just passed the strategic plan a couple of months ago internally uh, that'll kind of guide the next three to five years. And, you know, part of that strategic plan was to invest in our carbon credit program. So, you know, at some point we're going to invest, you know, more resources in this program. We're on the verge of trying to figure out how to help other land trusts nationally. Um, we're very fortunate that we're a rather large land trust, relatively speaking, in the United States. So we have been able to dedicate some resources to this thus far. Um, but we also understand that some, there's a lot of all-volunteer land trusts out there. And we want to lend ourselves uh, to those organizations and try to figure out how we can help them, you know, figure out these different conservation tools that might help them do more work. So we're in the process of ex exploring how that might work on a national level. Um, it's really exciting. Um, you know, we want to just gain as much energy around this initiative. You know, some might look at this and say, well, we should keep all the information and not share with anybody else, but it's not that this kind of thing. It's not, we're not that kind of organization. We think the more energy and publicity around this particular registry um, and the work that we're doing is only going to help everyone. It's going to build the market over time. It's going to create more buyers. It's going to create more conservation. And that's the goal. So we're super excited. Uh, we're going to continue to invest in this. And um, who knows where it goes. Yeah, amazing. So you mentioned that you're a pretty big organization. How big are you? So we have almost 50 full-time staff. Um, so for a land trust, you know, that, that's pretty large. So we're just grateful to have that type of capacity to do that type of work and um, have the folks dedicated to doing doing what our mission suggests. Yeah, nice. And when was Western Reserve founded? It was like uh, early 1990s, maybe that's 1992. Um, is when we were founded and uh, we started as a, a one person shop and we've grown to almost 50 in you know 30 years which is you know a testament to our leadership um, as an organization and growth over the years and our board kind of been on board with us just you know doing more and more good both in the you know or all three of the you know urban suburban and rural areas throughout our region and I'm although sort of a fan an aficionado of land trusts and the land trust movement, I'm I'm not super deep in it. And would you call that sort of like early 90s founding sort of it's sort of like a first generation land trust, part of the, the movement of land trust and, and, and land conservation through like easements and land trusts as a vehicle for land conservation? Is that kind of when things were really kind of kicking off in the United States as that as a vehicle? Yeah, you know, I, I actually think that we are maybe a little a little late to the game. You know, I'm I'm aware of some of the other land trusts, larger land trusts around the country that, you know, got a little bit earlier start than us, but certainly we were part of that, right? And just, you know, the right folks came together at the right time to have the the right things in mind to preserve land, you know, just outside of Cleveland is where it was started. And fortunately our leadership has allowed us to grow over the years and and to grow our impact. And um it's just a super cool thing to be a part of. Uh, especially when you're from the area, you know, to get to work on properties, kind of like you said, um, we have a word here internally called, you know, backyard conservation. Everybody wants to preserve the land in their backyard. It's true, you know, um, and uh, when you got a bunch of folks that are from the area, it's just, you know, the passion drives the work even more. Yeah, totally. Well, so in light of that, do you want to just take a little bit of time to describe the 
you know, bioregion and ecology there for, for listeners who aren't familiar with that part of North America, right up against the Great Lakes and just like, what's it like? What are these forests like? And what's the landscape like? Yeah, that's a great question. The, the landscape is is pretty unique uh, and very diverse. So um, when I'm giving presentations to folks in the community, you know, I like to imagine driving from east to west across northern Ohio. And what you'll find is in the very northeast, um, generally referred to as, you know, part of the Appalachia region, you know, a lot of deciduous forests, um, a lot of oak, hickory, maple, beech um, forests that uh, typically are very wet. So we have a lot of wetlands, even though, you know, 99% of wetlands in Ohio have been destroyed. The northeast area uh, was so wet that they couldn't farm a lot of it or they tried to for a very short time. And so a lot of wetlands exist, which is really awesome. So we we do a lot of wetland work in the northeast region. But also there's farmland intermixed in the Northeast region. There's some pockets of really high quality farmland. We protect that too with conservation easements. But as you kind of drive from east to west, you have these really high quality natural areas, uh, very rural as you start driving west. And then as you get farther west towards Cleveland, you still have a lot of high quality natural areas, forested habitats, um, still quite a few wetlands. And then you get into Cleveland, right? Cleveland's been essentially fully built out. Um, there's not a lot of natural resources left. So that's why revitalization work is so important in a city. And then as you drive west outside of Cleveland, you kind of transition to more in agri- predominantly agricultural areas, right? So there's not a ton of natural areas left west of uh, Cleveland heading towards Indiana. Uh, but there are pockets uh, that we certainly try to protect. And we protect a ton of agricultural land out there, which you know, we think is vitally important, too, to the, protecting the agricultural soils and the economies that depend on agriculture and food, feeding America and all that stuff. But then as you drive, let's just say you're at Cleveland uh, driving north to south, as you drive south, you know, you get into a a less flat um, environment. So kind of you start to travel into unglaciated Ohio as you get near the center line of the state. So obviously a lot more hills, I wouldn't necessarily call them mountains, but uh, a lot of elevation change and a lot of forest. Uh, Again, same type of forest, hardwood forest, oak, maple, beech, things of that nature. Um, less wetlands just because you have the topography. There's not quite as many um, areas for uh, wetlands to develop, but, you know, um, really cool. And we, we live in Northeast Ohio, so we kind of um, have some remnant boreal characteristics to our forest. So hemlock and some of the ravines we have in the northern part of our state, you know, we have hemlock lined ravines, which are super cool. And we do have lake effect snow, which kind of um, creates micro a little microclimate in the very Northeast part of Ohio, where we get Lake effect snow coming off of Lake Erie. Um, uh, once you get a westerly wind blow in the wintertime, you know, you can get feet of snow uh, in a very small kind of snowboard area along the lake. So really creates some really cool environments um, that also, you know, have a lot of rare species. A lot of our work is focused on threatened and endangered species. Um, we've, that helps with attaining funding to protect property, and we try to leverage that whenever we can. It's also just important to protect those species that, that are vulnerable. Yeah, amazing. Well, so you mentioned that you also do a little bit of um, in in the midst of that, you were speaking about agricultural land preservation. You are also active in preserving farmland. We are very active. So as an organization, we've protected uh, to date about 70,000 acres uh, through conservation easements. We own about six or 7,000 acres um, in fee. So of the 70,000 acres that we have conserved, uh, in about the last 30 years, nearly half of that is is active agricultural land. So 
Um, you know, Ohio is the agricultural rich state. It's the number one or number two industry in the state, depending on the year. And so that economy is important to not only business, but also to our heritage as Ohioans. And, um, you know, we, we got to continue to produce food for this country. And, and so protecting those agricultural soils is one of the best links that we can provide to protecting local economies. Uh, you know, a lot of times conservation and economy don't go together. And when you protect agricultural land, I think they go together perfectly because you're protecting those agricultural soils in perpetuity, um, which allows those farmers to continue to farm that land. In some of these rural communities, that's the only economy there is. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'm personally keenly interested, and I think the Regen Network community more broadly as well, in regenerative agriculture, conservation agriculture. So I'm just curious, are, are you also engaging with, you know, as you accumulate ag land and put it under preservation, are you also helping evolve the practices towards no-till ag and, you know, windrows and other things that are sort of simple, small steps towards regenerative agriculture? What's the what's the balance there? Yeah, so we, we don't have strict practices within our conservation easement. The primary goal is to protect the land, right? So if you've got a 100-acre farm, the primary goal is to protect the 100-acre farm and agricultural use. Um, now, however, there are certain instances where we work with farmers to make sure that some parts of the farm are protected as, so if you've got a 100-acre farm and there's 20 acres of forested wetlands, you know, we'll protect that forested wetland area as what's known as a natural area, which means that can never be farmed. So we essentially negotiate with the landowner on what, you know, they and we think is the best outcome for the land going forward. And we'll try to incorporate some of those practices that do uh, lend themselves to kind of a more of a compromise in terms of the land use. But we also still work on like organic farms and other more um, sustainable types of farms uh, we work on to protect. Um, it really comes down to what the landowner wants to do with the property. We we try to be very open-minded to all different walks of life and all different types of agricultural practices. And so we try to protect the farms. Um, you know, our goal is really to protect the farm and how exactly it's utilized. We haven't, you know, created policy around how that works. But I do think that there will be opportunities, um, and there already are related to agriculture and carbon credits, agricultural carbon credits going forward that will help, you know, help subsidize that because that's what it ultimately comes down to. Yeah. You know, we could tell a farmer all day long, you should stop farming this this portion of land along the ditch. But they tell us, well, that's where I get the return on my investment and actually turn a profit on my operation. You, It's not much we can say, right? But if there's a subsidy there that helps monetize that portion of land. I think that's really how we create change in that community. Well, that's that's right where my mind was going, because I know there's a lot of um, cool carbon crediting opportunities. And in a lot of ways, conservation land trusts who are getting involved in preserving ag land are really in a cool position because you all have the know-how to get to to sort of like do the contractual evolution for its easements and contracts around practices that then result in you know increasing soil carbon because of some shifts of practices or you know building the the right windrows or buffer zones around the ditches or you know the zones that actually like have these big uh, carbon or pollinator impacts. You can also mm-hmm. do some really interesting, and there's emerging biodiversity credits as well. There's sort of this idea. So yeah, it's, I think that's a really interesting thought. You know, how do we, like, I think the big question I'm always asking is how do we just really realign economic incentives with ecological health? And For sure. 
Yeah, might be really interesting. Maybe we'll have to, you know, follow up in the coming year about how that might, how might that look? For sure. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, So are you all working all the way across Ohio and beyond or just within, you know, just in that Northeast part? Um, Yeah. What's the geographic focus? Yeah. So our service area is 29 counties in Northeast Ohio. So that stretches from the Pennsylvania border west to the what we would call the Sandusky Bay. So not quite the Toledo and then more or less halfway down Columbus and east all the way back to the Pennsylvania border. So kind of the northeast quadrant of Ohio is where we're currently operating with our traditional work. When it comes comes to the carbon credit work that that we're hoping to engage in, that could be nationwide. Again, we're we're really exploring how that's going to work at this point in time. Um, obviously, we'd have to invest in resources to kind of launch that program, but it's something that we're very serious about right now. And um, there wouldn't really be any boundaries. You know, we would we would approach it a little bit differently. Of course, we wouldn't be holding conservation easements in Texas or California. We would obviously rely on the local local organizations to do that. But it would be more of a um, a type of consulting that we would provide to land trusts or other interested parties looking to explore the forest credits uh, preservation protocol. Cool. Yeah, I love it. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds like the city forest credits are really having a pretty significant impact and how you're thinking about the evolution of the organization looking forward that, you know, there's a potential to really scale land conservation and community engagement in a way that wouldn't be possible without this sort of cycle of, you know, communities kind of taking like fusing conservation and climate action together Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and again i I, you know we sort of this is kind of covering ground we already chatted about but maybe going a layer deeper you said earlier that you're getting a lot of local interest in the carbon crediting program where local businesses and local businesses probably primarily are just thinking about this as a way to both take climate action and get engaged with land conservation. I'm curious then, you know, I mean, Ohio is classic heartland state. (laughs) So what's the, how are you seeing the evolution of how people are thinking about the relationship between climate change, land conservation, and I guess like good citizenship? Yeah, uh, that's a that's a big question, Greg. But uh, I'll do my best. <laughs> um, you know, I think unfortunately everybody's kind of seen what's happened over the last let's call it seventy years, right? So the, the case example is out there and it's real, and that's you know how it was developed uh, nearly a hundred percent, whether it was for um, you know subdivisions and building and industry or for agriculture. So you know the more or less the whole state has been impacted except for arguably the southeast part which um you know there's some some large national forest down there which is great so you know people have kind of seen the evolution of land use and you know during the 60s and 90s the effects of sprawl you know when cleveland industry just you know towards the tail end of that time period wasn't thriving anymore right and industry was kind of falling by the wayside in kind of the flight of folks out of, you know, Cuyahoga counties and these more metropolitan areas into the more rural areas and, and seeing the effects of what that does to, you know, a communities is, it, you know, people have literally seen that in a generation or two looking back. And so I think looking forward, people are just, you know, that happened 
And, you know, how can we help be a part of, you know, preserving the, the high quality resources that we have left? You know, Northeast Ohio is really unique in that, you know, we're not the only organization working up here. There's dozens of conservation groups. And I've actually heard this from other entities that aren't from Northeast Ohio. Like we have partnerships with Ducks Unlimited and, and other organizations where we work on these large grant proposals together. And, and I've heard folks from other states talk about it. It's like they come to, we have partnership meetings uh, regularly and there'll be 20, 30 different groups in the room. And people are just like, I can't believe you guys have so many partners working together to try to, you know, do conservation or open space planning or whatever it might be. It's all related to conservation in an area. So we've got a tremendous amount of rows growing in the same direction, which helps, right? Because it just gets the word out there and people familiar with what's good about um, conservation and open space and all of that. So I think the communities just bought in. Um, we're seeing that from a carbon credit standpoint. You know, we've talked to, and we're not really trying that hard to like engage the corporate network in terms of our carbon credits, but we've talked to dozens of them. Um, so, you know, we get we get on the CFC website, the kind of word gets out that we're into this work. We have a lot of corporate relationships just from a, a, philanth- a philanthropic standpoint already. So we talked to them about, hey, we're getting in this work and people are just overly interested, which is really exciting, right? Um, we've talked to some of the big companies. So we made our first sale, a direct sale to a company, carbon credit sale to a company in Cleveland a couple of months ago. That was really exciting for us. We want to obviously duplicate that effort. We're going to continue to be involved in national sales as well, but we want to build some energy here locally because we just think that the story is even greater um, when it's Western Reserve Lancaster selling credits to a local company that we can put the get the good word out there and they can speak to their experience and. Um, I think it just helps create energy here locally that um, that we're having an impact locally, right? So I think it's uh, the the uh, sentiment about conservation in Northeast Ohio is generally good. Um, and it's uh, it's a great thing for us because it just allows us to get more work done. Yeah, no, that's 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 great. That's exciting. Um, and you know, and it allows it allows people who are purchasing, it allows those corporations who are per- purchasing the carbon credits to also start moving and aligning with kind of a larger global climate change um, opportunity. And and I think that's an interesting thing where it's sort of, you know, that old, I guess it's old these days. It still seems like a good saying, but, you know, think global, act local. It's mm-hmm. a great thing to be able to take clear action locally on a problem that kind of is affecting people everywhere. So it's it's kind of unique. I, I don't see a lot of other opportunities to align interests in that way. So for sure. Yeah. So, you know, some of the ground that we haven't covered is, I guess, related to just the relationship between city forest credits and region network. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious, yeah, sort of curious on first impressions and they, you know, Frank is fine on the, this sort of interesting and maybe unusual relationship between this web three attempt to create, you know, sort of a new, a novel approach and then the relationship with city forest credits, which are also creating a novel approach to bringing funding to land conservation um yeah i'm just curious what were the reactions <laughs> what were your thoughts when things started moving between uh region network and city forest credits yeah i mean just to start i think that uh both organizations are pioneering in this in this world of carbon credits which is exciting when we first got involved in carbon credits right we 
we we looked at it as we were taking a risk, right? We had no idea how it was going to play out. Um, and the risk was resources, right? Staff time primarily. Uh, we were fortunate to have those resources to commit to it, but we had no idea, right? So, you know, we've worked with enough consultants and other folks, you know, you can get promised X and probably never even get close to X at the end of the day sometimes. And that's just part of our work. So we went into it. We tried to go into it with eyes wide open and look at ourselves and say, hey, we're going to take this chance on this. We don't really know what's going to happen. We have no idea how much uh, revenue we're going to generate from these carbon credit sales. But it seems like this is our opportunity to try to learn. And we might go through this whole process. It might not work out, but we can at least tell ourselves that we learned and we know that we shouldn't pursue this or we know that we should pursue this at that point in time. So we did that. Um, I will say our organization is very... Um, heavily involved in writing a lot of state and federal grants to acquire properties or acquire interest in properties to protect property. And so we kind of had this baseline in terms of like how much time, staff time it took to write these grants and work with these partnerships and work, work, work with our partners to try to get these projects done. And CFC's protocol, in our opinions, is easier and more efficient than that from both the um, staff capacity standpoint, but also on the return on your investment standpoint. So you can essentially get more for doing less. Uh, I'm not, I don't want to overstate that this is like a super easy process. I mean, generally we think it's more simple than doing a couple grant applications and the whole process of buying a property or buying an interest in property with state or federal funding, which is great. Uh, the efficiency to it is great, but that I don't want to oversell the fact that there are resources that you need to commit to getting stuff like this done. But, but it was efficient enough to have a, sort of a better ROI than the traditional route of sort of going after, or one of the traditional routes of going after grant funding for conservation. Yeah, and there, there's some nuance there, right? There can be some case by case, but generally our experience thus far has been that. It, it is very efficient. And that was kind of one of the things that we learned from doing our first few projects was like, holy cow, like, yeah, we spent time, but it wasn't six months, you know, we got these projects done in a couple of months. We had several different people working on it at the same time. And the process went relatively quickly too. So, you know, when you're buying a property with grant funding, it might take a year, two, three, four, exaggerated case, five or more. And in this process from start to finish, it could take less than six months. If you have somebody really dedicated to hammering it out and getting all the, the um, restrictions in place in a timely manner, which is for our world, incredibly quick. So that was one of the learning experiences we received from this that was just super exciting. So, so, but there was a couple steps there. So that was like the, the credit registry process. So we got to register. We're like, okay, that's great. That you know, that wasn't very painful. Um, now what? registered now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the risk you take at the same time is like, well, you have to encumber the property. So from a land trust kind of traditional process standpoint, it's a little backwards because typically you would never restrict the property until you got it fully funded. Well, in this situation, you have to restrict it, which means you can't go get grant funding at that point in time because nobody's going to pay for a property that's already already protected. And then take the risk on the fact that you're going to sell the credits for enough to make make yourself whole in the project. And so that's where it's a little different. And um, we did that. And, you know, again, no idea on sales, amounts, anything like that. Uh, we got involved in this national sale. Um, as you know, you know, there was Penner... 11 or 12 other land trusts, not just land trusts, land trusts and, you know, cities or conservation groups around the country that um, pulled all of our credits together. 
And so it's like, okay, that's cool. We got buy-in from a bunch of different groups. We've got a diverse portfolio of carbon credits, some preservation projects, some planting projects, some really cool projects, you know, public access. I mean, it, it really kind of um, consumed all the different types of land trust projects um, in one portfolio. And so we're like, okay, that's awesome. And then it's like, okay, we're going to try to sell these. So it's like, okay, is this going to take six months? It's going to take two years. We, I had no, we had no idea on the timeline. And it happened, I forget how fast, but it was a couple months at most. Um, the region networks was engaged through the national sale. And you know, then the sale was completed. And I, honestly, I couldn't believe how fast it happened. And I was excited. Like an or- organization like Regen was kind of not just acquiring the credits, but had a bigger picture in mind, right? More foresight to create more like a platform. Um, for trading related to this market, which again, as I stated a few minutes ago, you know, creating exposure and energy around this this market is, I think, what we have to do, and that's what I feel like Regen is doing. Now, I don't know the ins and the outs of the business, but I feel like the idea is great, and it's going to lead to more exposure and again, energy towards these types of projects, and you know, and more conservation, which is is what we're going for. Yeah, I mean, that's the aim, right, is to really link those market forces into conservation and regeneration. And I mean, I think we were really excited about a lot of elements of what City Forest was doing and what really that sort of like image of bringing together all of these different land trust projects and having the ability for, you know, pretty grounded local action to be getting funded um, it's really exciting. And, you know, I don't think we were the only bidders. I'm, you know, in fact, I know we weren't. So I think there is at least at that moment. And I think, you know, macroeconomic conditions being what they are, you know, it's a, it's a little bit different world than it was, um, sure. this time last year, mm-hmm. but, but nonetheless, I, I, our experience is there's pretty significant demand and it's pretty exciting. I think, one of the next things that we're thinking about is how do you create this sort of flexible platform where people can really efficiently get these credits listed and buyers can find them, um, where people can search for what they want so that there can be a place where if a, if a local a local business that wants to take climate action or you know an international business that wants to take climate action in a specific place, right? Yep. Um, can just very efficiently and quickly be essentially connected so that that money mm-hmm. is just flowing, you know, just between in a disintermediated way directly between those counterparties. And, you know, then on we go, right? Because if yep. we establish the right price and the right and the right mechanisms, I think this is just such an effective mechanism. Start layering in regenerative agriculture, start layering in these other actions that th- these are sort of the the actions that need to be taken to preserve a commonwealth, to preserve, you know, mm-hmm. the, the commons that everybody enjoys. And uh, it's pretty cool to see that there is actually, yeah, market appetite to engage with that. So it's, uh, it's you know, little by little, but also it's happening quite quickly at the same time. It is. It really is. It's fun to see the NPR pieces on all of this. Um, you know, little as they little as they were, it was it was cool. I think it kind of like hit that note to a particular audience of like, oh, this is very interesting. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say, you know, uh, 
I got an email from one of my family members who just like started ranting about Bitcoin and I was a little depressed. <laughs> I don't, yeah. It's sort of like, yeah, it's a different thing. You know, right. I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's funny. <laughs> yeah. A little, you know, I mean, news cycles are what they are and people kind of fixate on particular pieces. It'd be, and lose the the forest for the trees, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, you know, we're sort of edging up here against the the top of the hour, and I want to respect your time. Um, I'm sure you've got a lot of stuff to wrap up before the holidays. Um, is there any any other part of the story that you feel like is um, yeah useful to just share with the kind of region network uh, internet denizens who are listening <laughs> listening in here? Yeah, I think, uh, as I've said, Greg, I mean, as a conservation practitioner, um, you know, all the land trusts or communities or villages across the United States and beyond, you know, if if there's a commitment to preserving and conserving land in your community, I think, you know, you should get familiar with the city forest credits, carbon registry, um, reach out to Western Reserve Land Conservancy. I think there's just a lot of um, knowledge to be gained by this carbon credit protocol. And I think there's a lot of value that could be gained in local communities through this protocol. And, you know, um, there's resources that can be brought to the table because of this that never were never were available before for a 50 acre property outside of X city in, in the United States. So, and I think it's just, it's a, it's a great thing for our United States, right? Protecting more land and having another tool to do that is just helping our cause all the climate impacts are obvious um, from the project, and you know we're tapping into a into a resource um, from a corporate standpoint. That unless you're a really well established land trust working on these corporate donations and philanthropy, you, we're just not going to get that that type of funding to help with conservation unless you're you're a land trust and you're actively doing it. But I think this opens up that communication and opportunity to connect operators that are trying to preserve land that might not have those connections to corporations and utilize that funding and leverage it to do community work uh, in your community. So uh, I just think folks ought to Google CFC, obviously look into Regen. And um, if uh, Western Reserve Land Conservancy can be helpful, just give us a call. We'll, we'll have a conversation with you and see what we can do to help. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it makes me think that um, at some point in the new year, we should do a circle up with you all and maybe with the CFC team, because we have been thinking a lot. We've been a little busy, but we've been thinking a lot about if there's ways to sort of um, bring some digital tools to the process of sort of the reporting and monitoring in order to create the issuance. And -hmm. if there's ways that we can kind of work together to make that even more efficient so that more and more, you know, communities can easily access and sort of go through the process and just lower those those barriers and bring things more quickly to the market and kind of pl- do matchmaking. I think it'd be really fun to dig into that. For sure. See where we could, uh, you know, just build build tools to make this all more efficient. Yeah, we'd love to. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time. Happy holidays. And uh, yeah, very exciting. Thanks for all your good work in the world. Thanks, Greg. Thanks. Thanks for having us and have a great holiday yourself. And uh, hopefully we'll talk soon. Right. Cheers, Alex. Take care, sir. Bye-bye.